Welcome to All About Data on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jory Heckman. Thanks for joining me this week on All About Data, a conversation with chief data officers and the people who are making data work better in government. On today's episode, we've got an exit interview with the now former chief diversity and inclusion officer at the State Department, Ambassador Gina Abercrombie-Winstanley. Thank you again so much for taking the time. A lot to look back on here. I would just ask in opening here, tell me what do you look back on as some of your biggest achievements as the State Department's CDIO? Thank you, sir. I believe maybe three have been real highlights over the time. The first important one, of course, was getting access to the data. People are very careful about that. We had a lot of privacy concerns to take into account and navigate carefully as we pulled data about who we are as an organization. But it had to be done. You cannot judge any progress or know where your problems lie without that data. And when you're trying to convince people to make changes and they are highly resistant, but the data helps convince people when they see it in black and white. And so getting that, working through the process with the lawyers, with HR, we got that data and we have shared it with the workforce and we're going to share it with the American people. And I'd say that's the first big change that we got. Also getting the precept, which helps make clear to our workforce that this is not a nice to have, but an absolute need for those who are going to be our leaders in this organization, that we have to think beyond our comfort levels, but to reach out and empower, develop, support our next generations, our next leaders coming after us. And I think the most important thing is something that I doubted I was going to be able to have much impact on two years ago. But as I engage with my colleagues now, as I'm getting so many notes of congratulations and thank you, I realize that in fact, my office has had an impact on our culture, culture, which is so hard to change. And the main thing that tells me that is that people talk about DEIA now, not as a mystery or just an annoyance, but something that they want to know where to do it, how to do it, um, with what to do it, where should the focus be? I just wrapped up a session with our chief of mission conference that we have every other year. We bring our chiefs of mission from around the world. And I had a packed room of ambassadors talking about DEIA efforts at their missions around the world. And we had Latin America, Europe, Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, all five regions reflected in this discussion. And chiefs of mission had some of the ideas, but their staffs on increasing accessibility, increasing inclusion. And so that these ideas are coming from the workforce and that is a cultural change. All positive signs there. We recently heard you speak before the House Foreign Affairs Committee in outlining some of the work that you've been doing. Something that we heard there was the State Department's efforts implementing some of the actions from a recent workforce survey. Can you maybe unpack some of the findings of that survey and where employees are saying action is needed most urgently? 
accountability is a huge issue within our organization, and I know our organization is not alone in that, where people talk about the challenges of doing their best work when they have poor managers, bad management. And when they have poor management, what is done about it? Is anyone held to account for bad behavior? And this can be not just general managerial issues, but bullying or harassment. And harassment occurs among protected classes, but it also happens between people of the same demographic background. So it's not something that is necessarily discrimination as defined under the law. Sometimes people are just mean or thoughtless and are not giving the attention to the workforce that they should be giving. And then of course, there are things you know, like discrimination. So all of those things happen within our organization. We had a sizable number of employees say that they had experienced such uh, behavior in the last five years, I think it was nearly 50%, which is a deeply concerning percentage. And then we had a huge, huge percent, I want to say it was close to 80%, who said they did not expect the perpetrators to be held accountable. Well, that's devastating. That's devastating. A news survey just came out a couple of days ago that put the Department of State, unfortunately, in the top four of government agencies where sexual harassment occurs. I think it was 28% of the workforce had dealt with that. So we have some management issues to deal with. So we really wanted to help global talent management get after that. And accountability is huge. So in the positive way for accountability is saying that you will be promoted if you manage well, if you look after all of your staff, not just the ones who remind you of you, with whom you share background or, you know, kindred interest or the same school or hometown or whatever it is, that you need to look at those who aren't like you. And I don't mean just from the same, you know, socioeconomic status or demographic group, but people who share differences. But we're looking for people to be Catholic with a small c in sharing pearls of wisdom and support and development. That as leaders, we expect that of everyone. And to treat people with respect and help them feel included. So those are the things that came across the workforce. We also had the workforce flag that our assignments, our promotions were not transparent and therefore they weren't sure that they were being dealt with in an equitable and above board fashion. And the reality is we are an organization that, you know, diplomacy often depends on contacts, on relationships, trust between each other that allow you to make compromises because you trust the other party. So with so much relational emphasis in the work that we do, it obviously can bleed over into selections and hiring and who you bring on board and who you want to be on your team, but that's not fair. And it does exclude a large group of people within the organization. And I say very frankly, if not diplomatically, every white guy is not in the in crowd. So when we decided to bring transparency to how people get senior assignments, one of the most important ones is a deputy assistant secretary. You can go on to be an ambassador from that, or you can come back from being an ambassador and proudly go be a deputy assistant secretary. It is an extremely important position and one that is a stepping stone for greater responsibility. And we discovered that we did not advertise those positions. You had to be in the know. 
somebody had to know and like you and tap you on the shoulder to get you to come and do that job. So we changed that. The workforce said, we don't believe this is equitable. It definitely isn't transparent. We made it transparent. And I love that I'm able to say that the first person who came up to me after we changed it, who thanked me for the change, who said, I didn't know about the job. I didn't know anyone in the front office, but I saw it. I knew I could do it. I advocated for myself and I got the job. And then he said, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I might not be in your demographic, but I'm so grateful you made the change. And it allowed me to say, you are in my demographic. The I is inclusion. And that means everybody. And we're not trying to put a new group at the top. We're trying to level the playing field for everyone. And that includes you. Frankly, our level of deputy assistant secretaries, I think, is more diverse since we uh, have been adding people since we changed how people get those jobs. We're leveling the playing field. Helps everybody. You know, one other facet of things, and I know this ties back to a previous conversation we had in your current role, is just the prevalence of promotion boards, that these promotion decisions, they're not left up to a single individual. It's, you know, a broad perspective of uh, points of view to decide who is that best person to have that promotion. Can you give me a sense of how prevalent from your perspective that is as a best practice? And is that moving the needle the way that you would hope it would? I think it's moving the needle, absolutely. As we spread the best practice of hiring panels, uh, we've had promotion panels for a long time. I had the privilege of talking to them about the DEIA precept to help them understand what we're looking for, why it is important. So we've done that work with the promotion panels, but the hiring is important as well, and that it be a panel, that it not be just one decision maker who can do that mirroring is the term, you know, finding someone they like that reminds them of themselves. So I can tell you that we'll look at the stats. That's part of what my office will do. We'll be doing bear analyses and data analyses on how the recommendations that we put in place are working. But what I can tell you is that it has built far greater trust and confidence in the decisions because people know it just wasn't one person making that decision that there was a panel that every applicant was asked the exact same question but scoring was done on the applicants and a discussion among the entire panel not just one person so it's building trust in the decisions and that's really important my guast today is Ambassador Gina Abercrombie Winstanley, the former Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the State Department. We're going to take a short break, but we'll continue our conversation when we return. I'm Jory Heckman, and you're listening to All About Data on Federal News Network. about data, my guest is Ambassador Gina Abercrombie Winstanley, the former Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the State Department. You mentioned earlier the building up of data capacities for the CDIO 
uh, and I know that the uh, Center for Analytics has done yeoman's work doing all things data for a lot of missions within the department. Uh, in terms of building up that data expertise within the CDIO, what what's the art of the possible here? What is what are you thinking that these data experts can ultimately do to drive everything that we've been talking about here? Well, if we could only, you know, I had enough bodies to answer all the questions I've got sitting in front of me today. We have three different bear analysis in train right now, and we are wrapping them up and then we'll be working on the recommendations. Uh, we're looking at the career flow from hiring, promotion, all the way through on civil servants. We're looking at foreign service bidding, and we're looking at the difference between who got interviewed and who got hired in the civil service. We've got three really interesting ones there to do. But we have any number of missions and offices asking us questions. You know, we've done this sort of advertising, but we're not getting the response that we believe is necessary. We want to be able to show the full range of the beauty that is America in this country. And as someone made the statement this morning, we had a breakfast with the Congressional Black Caucus. When the world sees itself in us, it helps them love us more. And that that's one of the wonderful things about America. Wherever you come from in the world, you can see someone like you who is who looks like you or has a similar background to you as a proud American. That's part of our special sauce, our secret sauce. So we've got barrier analyses that we're getting requests on from, you know, why does the office look like that? Or we have a, a blockage, we're getting people up to this level, but we haven't got people to that level. You know, is it where we're advertising? Is it how we're advertising? When they come, and I gave a talk um, yesterday because we were hearing some really great things that missions are doing to further diversify their locally engaged staff around the world. And I made the point because it's deeply important that once you bring people in, you can't expect them just to fall in and be fine. You've got to support them when they get to these unfamiliar waters. You have to check in with them on, is everything going on okay? Do you have a mentor, someone, an advisor, someone who's going to guide you through the administrivia of working for the U.S. government, you know, where you find things. Um, what what are the unspoken rules that somebody has to tell you or you find out the hard way? And we don't want people to find out the hard way because hard means they get demoralized and might leave. So we're keeping an eye on, it's not enough just to bring people through the door. You have to support them once they're there to allow them to flourish. Congress has put forward 24 different requests for data for the Department of State. So even before I touch anything that we have to do, I got 24 different reports that I have to do for Congress. So that is why we need these data analysts and uh, hope to bring them on board very, very quickly. They won't be here, I think, before I go, but soon after, because we've got to have people crunch these numbers, help us get the statistical meaning from it, what is statistically meaningful and the differences that we see, and help us make sound recommendations, as we did for the Deputy Assistant Secretary position. Once we saw that barrier to a wide array of people having access to that position, then we worked out that recommendation. We must advertise these positions openly. We must in the advertising list exactly what we're looking for so people can anticipate, will they get an interview or 
Will they not? And then we have to compete it. We have to give interviews to everybody who meets the requirements for this job, which is something that was not happening before. We are, you know, of course, talking about issues that have a long life cycle in the department. You know, I know the Government Accountability Office has looked at this over a number of decades, and it's great to see that some progress is being made here. But of course, progress is always in the works here. In terms of things that you look ahead at and you wish your successor would tackle, where do you see the most, you know, salient pain points or things that deserve the most urgent attention? Well, I think the work that we've done on inclusion very definitely must be strengthened, expanded, and continued. We, the best thing we do is recruit. We're, we're very active. We go to major institutions. We go to minority-serving institutions. We go to community colleges because you don't need a college degree to get into the State Department. And so we get the word out, and our best diversity is at the bottom of our, our pile quite frankly. It is as you go up the ladder that it thins out. Um, I recently learned that what I have known anecdotally, which is that at the top, we are very, very short of minorities in general, African-Americans specifically, and acutely African-American women. And now we have the data that backs up what we think we see. So in some ways, there isn't a lot to choose among at the senior levels because we've lost so many along the way. So that's where the inclusion piece becomes so very important because as we examine what those drivers are, you know, the retention unit is looking at what keeps people staying and we support them. We've looked at what drives them away. So we've got to take what we're learning on both of those sides to change how this organization functions and how we support people. Um, you know, you probably saw in, I think the New York Times did an article on, on us changing our font so that people with a visual impairment uh, like me um, don't have to fight so hard to read documents, you know, put it in an easier font. This was an easy change, but one that recognizes a range of people within our organization that need that sort of accommodation and that helps with inclusion. Um, there's some other things that we've learned about the treatment of our staff overseas and things that make them feel like second-class citizens, like our organization doesn't care. Um, and so we have gotten after that. I call it the we've got your back policy to ensure that any, any discriminatory treatment of our staff, and it happens because you're black in some countries, it happens because you're brown. In some countries, it happens because you have a disability. It happens because you, your sexual orientation, gender identity, and it happens because you're female. We are getting stories in from all of those groups and what the mission is doing to protect them, to stand for them as they do for every other um, member of staff. And that's why I'm saying this is an inclusion piece and will help us hold on to people so they don't become demoralized because they feel othered and not valued. So this is information that we're gathering and that we've got to focus on. So I think that's a big piece of what we've got to do. I definitely believe that our office with the data folks that we're bringing on has got to keep a very keen eye 
on all the programs that we're doing under DEIA, our fellowships that we're putting in. We've just added paid internships, which I think is brilliant. I expect high things from this change because I know I couldn't intern at the State Department because I don't have money like that, okay? I had to pay rent, I had to buy books, I needed a job that was gonna pay me. So now we are paying these interns, which means a wider array of people. You don't have to live in DC, you can come, we're gonna help you with housing. So a wider array of Americans are going to be able to work for the Department of State. So I think that's gonna be very important to our inclusion, to our diversity. However, you gotta keep an eye on it. All of these programs have that intent and all of these programs are open to any American citizen, doesn't matter what your background is. We hire for merit, but that means we have to do the work in the recruitment. We have to make sure that these programs, including paid internships, including fellowships for diplomatic security or IT, or the Generalist Pickering and Wrangell Fellowships, all of those, we've got to make sure that those populations which are underrepresented in our organization, whether it be women, Hispanics, and particularly African-Americans that we're advertising, we're making sure that they know about these organizations, these, these programs. We've got to make sure we get the knowledge out there. If everybody has equal access to the information, and currently that's not the case, we're working on that, we're improving it daily. But if everyone has equal access to the information, then we're sure we're gonna get a diverse pool because we're a wonderful place to work. We really are. Exciting mission, something that allows you to be proud and fulfilled every day you wake up and come into work because you're working for the American people. If we get the information out there, I have no doubt we're going to get a diverse array of Americans with different backgrounds, perspectives, lived experiences, approaches to resolving issues to come and serve America. I feel confident about it, but we have to watch it and make sure because we won't know if we're not doing it right unless we're looking at the data. That was Ambassador Gina Abercrombie Winstanley, the former Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the State Department. You can find more data coverage as well as more episodes of All About Data on federalnewsnetwork.com. I'm Jory Heckman, and thanks for listening to this episode of All About Data. Thanks for listening to All About Data on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your favorite podcast app. Search for All About Data on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows.